that next week. All right? We all good? Can I get going? Okay. Pray for me. Lots. All right? Um, I may be making a couple of adjustments. So God, just lead us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right. Now, welcome. Last week, we started off the new year right. And I just have to tell you, if you did not hear last week's sermon, can I just highly encourage you to go online. You just go to www.lakesam.org, and it's right there. You can get it four or five different ways off. They can download it, watch it live, whatever. But the bottom line is, is I, I really am asking you to take a look at last week's because what we did is we went through what I think is arguably, very arguably, the very most important section of Scripture that there is about how to walk with Christ. It's that section that starts halfway through Romans 7 where Paul says, why do I not do the things that I do want to do and why do I do the things that I don't want to do? What the heck is going on in my life that this is going on? And in chapter 8, he explains what's going on and how to beat it. And so bottom line, this is a huge thing, and I really want to encourage you to take a look at that. Now, if I had to summarize what that sermon was about, it's this. We want to enter into an area where we are truly being led by the Holy Spirit so that he can transform us in that area. We're doing this not just so that you get transformed in that area. We're, this is something we're going to be doing all year long. We're doing this because we want everybody in here to feel what it is like to actually follow the Holy Spirit as he transforms you, right? Now, one of the things that we did in order to help us do this is five steps, and we're just going to kind of go through them quickly. But what we did right in the sermon is you, we wrote down the top three or four things that you want to change in your life, and that's just, you know, when you're thinking about it, just what comes to your mind, right? Most people have a pretty quick list. And then... Cross out the things you wrote down until you have what you think is the most important one. Now, most of us did that. We were praying and we were thinking that the one that we had was the one from the Lord, right? I mean, we didn't just do it in our own selves. We, we were trying to do it as led by the Lord. But, and this is where it gets critical, then we asked you to take a step three. Pray about that list, all of them, including the ones you crossed out, for a few days and see which one God leads you to do first in this list. See? And here's what I want to tell you. I've talked to, I don't know how many people, but I, I'd say 15 to 20 people that actually did step number three. I've talked to several people that didn't do step number three, but of all the people that I talked to that did step number three, every single one had the same story I shared last week, which was they got to the one that they thought was the one, and then they took a couple of days to pray about it, and God led them to another one and showed them why. So this is a really important step, and if you want to be led by the Spirit, this is what we're talking about. See, we thought we had the Lord when we did the first part of the exercise, but then you take some time with it, and things can change a little bit. And then, and here's the deal, I, don't, I haven't talked to hardly anybody who's done step four and five yet. But I want to tell you, these are really important steps. Why? We're not asking you to change a part of your life. You, you might be disciplined enough to go ahead and do that on your own. That'd be awesome, right? That'd be great. We're not asking for that here. If you want to do that in other areas of your life, fine, have fun. What we're asking for at this moment in time is we're asking you to actually be led by the Spirit as He shows you how to change a part of your life. See that? So we're going after it in a deeper way, and here's one of the things we're doing. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what stopped you from doing this one thing in the past. Be, be aware of the stuff that Satan is doing and the stuff the Holy Spirit, therefore, is doing. See? And then, number five is, ask him, what is the first thing you would have me do to start doing this? One thing in you right now. You see it? So those are the five steps. And I'm asking you, if you haven't done step three yet, do it. If you haven't done steps four and five yet, do them. Do not try and do this in your own self. Try, with everything you've got, try and do this as led by the Spirit at every step of the way. Because again, I think what God's going to do through this year is he's going to show us what it's like to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's cool. You learn that? It's the teach a guy, you know, give a guy a fish, he's got fish for the day. Teach a guy how to fish, he's good for the rest of his life, right? You really know what it is. You're really encouraged by this thing. Now we're going to take that concept of the Holy Spirit doing this kind of thing in us and we're going to extend it today. 
And the way that we're going to head into it is, is I want to ask you this question first. Could you guys do the clock, please? Uh, I want you to, to start with this concept first. How many of you can remember the last time that the Holy Spirit led you to take a leap of faith? That would have been a bad leap of faith, right? How many of you can remember the last time? The now look, see a lot of people have had bad things happen to them and God uses all things together for good and so people grow from that, right? You can grow from good things too, but we tend to grow from bad things more. That's just the way we are, too bad for us, right? But the bottom line is, is what I'm asking you right now is this other deeper question. When was the last time that you could point at something and you could say, I want you to take a minute right now and I want you to think about it. When was the last time that you felt like the Holy Spirit asked you to do something that was outside your comfort zone, out, you know, it was going to demand a stretch on your part? Just, just pray about it for a sec, would you? Okay? Just ask him to reveal to you. You might not even know that he asked you. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands here. But I'm going to tell you that, you know, just having done this kind of thing for a long time, I'm going to tell you that probably 70% of the room is having a really tough time coming up with one. Now, what I want to say to you is this. Is that because he didn't ask, or is it because we weren't oriented to following or finding or thinking about him in that way? Think about something for a second. If you're going to grow, what does it take? Think about this. How's God trying to grow you? Who's he trying to grow you into? Like Jesus, right? So that would be like, how big of a change, how big of a difference is there between you and Jesus? <laughs> Do you think that there's some leaps of faith in there somewhere? You think maybe there's some growth and maturity and stretching and genuine transformation of who you are in a way that is going to be difficult, risky, faith. You see it? You see, this is the walk. This is what you signed up for. When you said you were going to become a Christian, count the cost of the tower. This is what you were signing up for. <laughs> this great adventure with God. Because, you see, when we think of risk, what we do is we think of it this way. I don't, most people would say this. There's some people like me that love risk. Most people go, I don't like risk. And I'm getting old enough to where I'm not too keen on it anymore, right? But the bottom line is, is that most people, when they think about risk, they think, I don't like it and I'm not going to do it. And, and I'll tell you, now, don't misunderstand me here. Faith does not, risk does not equal faith. In other words, boy, if I'm not risking myself somehow, I'm, I can't possibly be. Do you understand, Psalm 23 is the right idea. There are seasons of still water and green pasture where God's letting you assimilate the lessons that you've learned in the past. And you are relaxed and enjoyed, and it's a wonderful season, and have every moment of it revel in it, because it's awesome. But then do know something else. There's a valley of the shadow of death coming. <laughs> he leads you along paths of righteousness for his name's sake, because he's trying to transform you. He's trying to make you into the image of his son. And there's going to be moments that are going to be a challenge and going to be a risk. And when those things happen, we need to embrace them. Right? This is how C.S. Lewis, in talking about the Christian walk through the Chronicles of Narnia, says it. The, the, the kids are asking, basically, you know, these things Aslan is telling us, pretty big risk, pretty big, you know, everything else. You know, is he safe? And Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Have they been listening? <laughs> of course he isn't safe. But he's good. And then here, I think, is the key phrase in that. I tell you, he's the king. He's the king, I tell you. See what he's saying? He knows you better than you know you. He's in control of your life. Whether you like it or not, he's going to take you down this road. There's just one way to do it that works better and goes faster. See? He's the king. Trust him. Go where he's wanting to take you because he's going to take you somewhere spectacular. Because as Chronicles of Narnia is all about, it's a great adventure. This stuff of risk, when, you get done, when we get done today, you're not going to see risk in the same way. Because right now what you're thinking is, risk is this. Risk is, do you think I can make it? Do you think I can? Do you? 
Thank you for the vote of confidence. Thank you very much. I can tell you there was a time in my life when I absolutely would not have stood up here and not at least tried. But today I've gone older and wiser. And I've learned not to do that kind of thing because sometimes it doesn't work out like I was hoping it would work out. Okay? Wait till the end of the sermon and what you're going to see is, okay, I'm not going to jump it. I'm going to show you how God would have you jump it. And it's completely different than what you think. So that's where we're going. Sound like a good deal? Long introduction, but all right. Greg Thatcher, awesome. Greg, worship team, and, and just, just wonderful man of God. He's a teacher in a Christian school. Get to know Greg. Makes your life better, okay? So pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Thank you, Greg. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would um, till the soil of our hearts this morning. Lord, to not block or choke, not let any of that choke out the word that Kurt has for us. Lord, stir up the soil of our hearts. And Father, I want to pray for two churches. One, the kids that are meeting right now here in, in our campus. Amen. Lord, that you would bless and encourage them. And secondly, Amen. Lord, I want to pray for Christ Church Kirkland uh, slash North Shore as they go um, through a very tumultuous time. Lord, lay your hand on them. Father, lay your hand on us to hear you and to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you talk to me about that? I, I know those guys. I'd love to be praying for them. I don't know anything about that. I don't, not gossip. I want to pray for them. Love on. All right. Now, welcome to our series, Empowered. Empowered, really simple concept. God wants to do work through you. Why? Because that's the only way he can do the work? No, he did really good with, like, making the universe without you. Okay? So why does he want to do it through you? What's the point of doing it through you? Why does he want to do miracles and the things that only he can do by coming upon you and doing his work through you? Why is he trying to do that? Why? Go ahead. Changes us. That's exactly right. Because he's trying to change us into the image of his son. So he's going to put us out there in certain times when it's going to be kind of like, wow. And what we're doing is, is we're looking at the book of Luke. And as we're looking at the book of Luke, what we're saying is, is that in the book of Luke, there's many different ways you could read Luke. But the way we're reading it is, we're saying God trained up a group of disciples who did pretty well in the end, right? So what we're doing is, is we're saying, how did he do that? We're looking at Luke and saying, how did he train up disciples? Now... There's a concept I want in your mind as I go into the story where we are, Luke 7, today. And this concept goes like this. Because we are born into the four dimensions that we live in, in the, in the real world, as we would say, right? The, the real world. There's this spectrum of things that we think are possible in the real world, right? On this end of the spectrum is stuff I know for certain to be true and real in the world. This this thing right here, this is real, okay? That's real, right? Now, at the other end of the spectrum, continuum, whatever, spectrum, you would say, what are things that, I don't, these are not, these, those are not real things. Like Hollywood can do special effects on them, but they're not real, see? Like, I don't think that it's possible that this piece of equipment right here, that this thing could just suddenly disappear. We're all sitting there looking at it, and it just disappears, and then a second later, it just appears again. Again, Hollywood could do that. But do I think that that's in the real world? No, I do not. I do not think that that's possible. But there's this problem with that. It was called the Bible. Because I read the Bible, and it tells me things about axe heads floating and seas standing in walls and standing in two walls so you can walk through on dry land and a whole lot of stuff that I take to be a violation of the laws of nature as we call them the laws of nature and I say these things cannot happen because they're a violation of the laws of nature and in so doing that I suddenly find myself at odds with Jesus who says it this way have faith in God truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him here's what Jesus did not mean Oh, you're having a mountain of difficulties, a, you know, metaphorical mountain. And what you need to do is trust, and it'll be cast into the sea. It certainly would include that, but here's what he's actually talking about. 
He's standing outside and he's saying, you could say to this mountain, <laughs> physical, in the world, laws of nature mountain, whoever would say to that, be cast into the sea. And when he says not doubt, let me tell you how not to doubt. It's really simple. Know that for certain it's what God wants to do. That's the greatest way to not doubt. Okay, know for certain. Don't just make it up. Don't just think maybe. Press into God. Know what he really wants to do. And when you're certain that this is what God wants to do, I find that that's about the only time that I genuinely have no doubt. When I know that this is what God wants to do, no matter what it is. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit later. But he's saying be cast into the sea. And so this is what he tells us. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. And I want to say something here. Okay? I want to do it in the message. By the way, I come from a faith background, and I, have, I am not preaching a faith, name it and claim it kind of sermon here. I am not preaching that. Do you understand? That some of you, this, this is like, whoop, I don't know what that means. Others of you know exactly what that means. And I really need you to understand, I am talking about things in the way that I have learned them to be that is quite distinct from that, Okay? But listen to the way that the message says this, because I, I think he does capture the spirit of this perfectly. Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this. Look at how he calls it. This God life. What, what, how would we be calling it in our, this kingdom of God? These truths. Not just the kingdom of the world and its physical nature laws, but embrace the truth of this kingdom, which is also real. In fact, more real. It lasts longer than the one with the physical laws last. Right? That lasts for eternity. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the sea. No shuffling or shilly-shallying. You know, take, don't take your time. Don't, you know, like the rain washes it into the sea over eons and somehow that was God. And it is as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from the small large. Include everything as you embrace this God life and you'll get, and I love this expression, what you'll get when you embrace the God life is God's everything. That's what we're trying to do, right? We're being conformed in the image of Christ. What did he do? He embraced God's life and he got God's everything. <laughs> so that's what we're trying to do. Now, so understand when I say this, remember there's this spectrum of this is what I really believe to be true in the world and this is stuff that I don't believe to be true and yet this stuff is the stuff that's really being worked on. Okay? In fact, what he's doing is he's moving our understanding so that all of this stuff is actually moving over to here. And this is exactly what he's doing with the disciples here in Luke. Because remember, Luke starts with what? Jesus laying his hand after the introductory stuff, Jesus lays his hands on Peter's mom, and she is made well. And then a whole bunch of people show up, and a whole bunch of people get saved. Now, there's some other demons being delivered and other things and everything else, but I just want you to sort of focus in on that for a second. See, if you're one of the disciples, you are, so how do you feel about healing? Really, let's be totally honest. How do you really feel about healing? Are you absolutely certain of its truth? Or are you somewhere in the, I know that it's true and I know that it happens, but, you know, my own experience isn't quite there, and so I think that it's true and I'm not quite sure. And see, where are you in the spectrum on healing? And now I want you to ask the question, where were the disciples before Jesus? Just where we are, right? Just where we were. They're saying, well, I think it's true, and, you know, I've heard about it, and there's stories about it, and, you know, but is it real? Is it true? Is this really, you know... And then what happens? Jesus heals a bunch of people. <laughs> and every one of them got healed. And all of a sudden, where are they on the spectrum now? In their own understanding? It moved, right? It moved from that end and it moved over here to where they were going, this healing thing? This is really in the realm of, I really believe that this is true and happens in the world. See that? Because now what God's going to do is he's going to take the understanding that he has led them into and he's going to extend it even further. Super important concept what we're talking about today. He's going to take where you are and then he's going to take you to more. See it? So here's what he's doing as he trains his disciples. 
Okay, he just got done with that sermon, that incredible sermon on the Mount thing that we looked at for weeks. Then when Jesus finished saying all these to the people, he returned to Capernaum. Now, at that time, a highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. First of all, you've got to love the centurion, right? He wants him to heal his servant, and he's, he's calling in favors to get his servant sell. This is a good guy, right? So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does. He loves the Jewish people, even built a synagogue for us. Now look what. So Jesus went with them. Now watch. See? This is how they think about it. Proximity. How have they seen healing so far? Well, here's how. Be healed. Proximity. Got it? See? What they're thinking... See, we have... I didn't believe that healing was possible. And then I saw someone lay their hands on somebody and they got healed. And now I believe that it's possible. But how? Well, because, see, there's like some power in me. Charismania gets into this now. We're talking about impartation type stuff, which is not actually what charismaniacs make it out to be. But the point is, is see, we think there's some power in me. And so when I lay my hands on him, this power like magically transfers through my hand. And I feel this heat in my hand. And then they get touched and then they're healed. I'm not saying it'll never happen like that. God does all sorts of things any way that he wants to do them. What I'm saying is, when these guys hear that this guy needs to be healed, Jesus says he's coming, and what they're thinking is going to happen, he's going to go in, lay hands on him, or at least be close to him and say that he's healed, right? That's what they think. But then a wrench gets thrown in it. Just before they arrive at the house, the officer sends friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. I'm not worthy for such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Now, why does he say that, and why didn't the disciples? Why does the centurion say this? For the disciples, they've seen proximity. They've come, they've moved along the scale. They've seen proximity. I get proximity. But now you're telling me to just say something and you're not even by the person or anything like that? Somehow that doesn't feel like the power can go and do. And this doesn't, this is an extension. I don't, I can't make that leap is what the disciples say. And you know that they can't do that because if they could have done that, they would have said to him when he was still back in Capernaum, they would have said, Hey, Jesus, you don't have to go. All you have to do is say, be healed, and he'll be healed. But they didn't, it didn't occur to him. Why? Because there was this gulf, this leap of faith that was too wide for them to think that it was real and to even think about it. So that's what the disciples were doing. But what was the centurion doing? Why did he think it was possible? He tells us. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Now understand, this is how the, this is how the centurion did that. He took and he looked at his life and he moved <laughs> where he was standing. See that? Has he ever seen anybody say this in the healing part of the thing? Is there still a leap of faith involved here? But you see what he did? By taking what his life experience was and looking at it and understanding that the life experience was pointing to something. It wasn't just the thing itself. It was pointing to something. And he goes, you know what? I'm a soldier. I'm, a, I'm under people and orders. And all that. I, so you see, he moved closer to this idea that you don't actually have to be there in order to heal. You see how he did his walk? Now it's a step. Now everybody can do a step. I wasn't worried about that. Were you worried for me? I hope not. That would be a really bad vote of confidence. But we see it, don't we? Don't we? See, I want you to get something right here. Look, what happens is, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and turning to the crowd that was following him, he says, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. See what Jesus highlights? Faith. But look at the nature of the faith. Because you see, we're talking about going on a great adventure, and we've just learned something about a great adventure. We've learned that if the gulf is too wide, 
we don't take the next step. But if we will get a principle in our minds that just because I'm here, see, I learned about healing. The, the, the disciples knew about healing right here. And they could have said, now that I know about healing, well, I've gone as far as you can possibly go in God. Is that what you see, right? In which case, you're not even looking to go anywhere else. What's God asking us to do? Everything that happens in your life is ultimately a precursor to what God wants you to do next. Look, when I do take the things of my life, understand them, take this new leap of faith, take this new step of faith, come to this new place, I have really grown. I have been transformed. But do understand what's actually happening. God is not saying, you get, you get your still waters and green pasture sure. You can assimilate the understanding of this stuff, right? But then what he's saying is understand that too is yet but another precursor to another thing that you didn't know was happening. Another moment. And if you do the precursors right, here's the thing that God tells you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He tells you that the step of faith, not leap, not danger, yes, still something, right? You still had to do, you still had to move, you still had to understand it, you still had to move into it. Yes, there was something that was going on that was very important, but it turns out that faith is not actually nearly as difficult as we think if we're actually involved in it. See, the truth is, I asked at the beginning how many people have had the Holy Spirit tell them something was stretching, and the truth is every single person in here has had the Holy Spirit tell them in the recent past something that he wanted them to stretch in. That's true. The other truth is, is lovingly, I'm not, no condemnation here, right? We're all in the same boat, right? But the problem is, is that we're not really engaged in that process. And because of that, we don't get, when the officer's friend returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. We wonder why it doesn't happen because we're still trying to make this large leap. And what he's telling us is, is I want you to learn from all kinds of things. I want you to enter into this process in a way to understand I'm not asking you to do something that is going to hurt you. I'm not asking you to do something that is going to be too much for you. I'm asking you to do something which is quite doable if you're engaged in the process. What's the one thing thing that we're doing? Do something that engages you in the process. <laughs> because you see, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. It's impossible to come to know him. It's impossible to understand who he is. It certainly is impossible to be transformed in the image of Christ. Right? Because he clearly was doing things that are way beyond anything that we think we could ever do. <laughs> and yet God is trying to walk us step by step, love, love thing by love thing right into the very heart of everything that Christ did. In fact, as he says, and as we're looking at, even more. That's his promise, right? Those who love me and keep my word, they'll do even more than I did. Because God has a great adventure for you, and all you need to do is step out to step into. So the question returns. When was the last time your faith was truly stretched? Right? I'm going to take a minute here. I'm going to probably move too quickly. My apologies in advance. But I want to show you that this principle that I'm talking about is not just in some little story in Luke. It's embedded in the heart of the whole of the Bible. We're going to do so by comparing and contrast two big figures, a father and a son, David and Solomon. David lives 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ, and really simply, the way that David comes about is this. The people of Israel are being established in the land, and they're having a bad row of it. They're not becoming a nation. As they are not becoming a nation, they say, give us a king like other nations. We want to be like other nations. God's saying, that's a bad idea. Other nations are not doing so good. But if you want it, I'll give it to you. And the first king that he gives them is the, exactly the kind of king that you would want. Big, strong, tall, handsome, awesome. And we're not superficial totally, right? He's completely humble. In that particular guy's case, they'll understand that humility was the synonym for fearful. Saul was fearful. And he wasn't just fearful about God, which would have been a good thing, 
and doing things right according to the Lord. He was fearful about enemies and fearful about what people think about him and fearful about all kinds of stuff to the point that at one point in time an enemy is amassed against Saul and the armies and the priest has clearly told Saul, wait until I get there. Now if a priest tells us to wait, what would you do? We all like to think that we would wait. But what if literally there was a tank sitting right outside that door and a bunch of Russian soldiers and they were going to walk in here and shoot you? Then you'd say, maybe I need to get moving, right? God helps those who help themselves. That's a good proverb, right? It's not in the Bible, but you know, all right, come on, let's use it. And so what Saul does is, is that he takes and makes a sacrifice. Now he's been made king, and this is a moment of testing for him. God does not want the religious power and the political power to be in the same person. That is going to corrupt you. That's going to mess you up. And the world has seen that over and over. There will be one in who will be both priest and king, and that's Christ. He's God. He's the one that can handle it. He's the one who can do a good job with it for us, right? But the bottom line is Saul flunks the test, and so God says, you're done. And what he says is, he says, look, you're done, and I'm going to go seek, a, seek out a man who's after my own heart. So Samuel the prophet goes, and he sees this family, and boy, you know, big strapping young boys. It's an obscure family, but big strapping boys, you know, these make pretty good kings. And God keeps saying, quit looking after your own eyes. Look at the heart. Look at, look at what I'm doing. I'm going to do something totally different than what you think makes sense. You hear that? I'm going to do something different than what you think makes sense. Boy, he gets through all the boys. Is there anybody else? Well, yeah, there's one, but he's just a kid. You know, he's just a boy. He's out walking with the sheep. Well, bring him in. God says, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took a flask of olive oil. He brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord, can I repeat that one? The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. We now have a person who's walking by, as being led by the Spirit of the Lord. See, so we can learn from them now, because that's what we are supposed to be. Now, if you were to look at David's young life, what's the story that stands out? What's the big one? David and Goliath. Well, that's later in his life. David and, David and Goliath, right? Goliath. Who's Goliath? Well, real simple, the Israelite army is how there's another army coming against them, and this army just happens to have a giant amongst their midst. He's almost 10 feet tall. He's 9 foot, 7 inches tall. And he's just a big hulking, you know, I mean, he's on the Seahawks defensive line, let's admit it, okay? So, you know what I mean? He's just this wall of a man, and the bottom line is he's battle-tested. And what they say is they say, you know what, we'll make this easy for you. We'll send him out before us, and you beat him, we'll, we'll give up. We'll leave, Right? And all the best warriors of, of Israel are going, <laughs> there's no way I can beat the Seahawks. This can't happen. Okay? Maybe Peyton Manning with that good arm. Maybe. Maybe. Just saying. <laughs> wow, am I in trouble now. Okay. <laughs> Amen. We'll get you later, Kurt. Okay. Follow on it? So, now what happens is, is David comes down and hears this big old giant doing blasphemies and it incenses him. Why does it incense him? This is a guy who has learned to be in tune with and intimate with the Holy Spirit. And this blasphemy is not just he's taking personal offense at it. This blasphemy is the Holy Spirit in him rising up. And so he says, send me. And they're like, no way. You're just a kid. They put armor on him, it doesn't fit, he takes it off, he, he picks up a stone, yeah, right, that's going to work, you know what I mean? But, but they're saying, no way. Now, watch. How big is the goal for David? Is it, is it huge? Is it like, oh my gosh, see, that's what everybody else is thinking, right? Everybody else is thinking, that's too far a leap. No, it's not just that big, it's this big, see? You know, you're never going to make it, David. That's what they're thinking, Right? But watch what David does, just like the centurion. David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. See what he's doing? See what he just did? 
he said, God has been doing this thing in me, and I don't think that giant's nearly what you think that he is. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Is it still a leap for him? Is it still a step? Is it still a thing of faith? Does he know for sure that he's going to win the battle against the Goliath? No, and yet, yes. Listen to his words. He has let the precursor be so real to him that it has gone into the realm of this is true. Do you see it? And so it's nothing but a step. And the whole of David's life is nothing but steps. And the whole of his life is a great adventure. Right? David's the one you make the movies about. Right? Because he's got adventure after adventure after adventure. All of which had precursors, so that the leaps that he makes are not nearly as large as we think. Having said that, let's contrast that with Solomon. What leaps of faith did Solomon make? Well, Solomon certainly did unbelievable things. But were they leaps of faith? Or were they just good planning by a smart guy? Understand, Solomon is, is a wonderful man in that, you know, God says, what do you want? And, and why, why did God give Solomon? What do you want? You're about to become king. What do you want? Why did God ask him that question? Actually... He wanted to show him something. You're about to become king. I need you to trust me, not other things. And so I'm going to do something for you that is, you know, like a faith builder. See, trust me and watch what I'll do. Now Solomon answers beautifully in that he says, what I want is wisdom to lead your people. And God says, that is awesome, but the problem is it doesn't actually get to what I needed to do to you. So I'll give you wisdom, and by the way, just to show you who to really trust in life, I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you everything else that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you everything. To this day, there is not a person in the world before or since that has experienced the things that Solomon experienced in the fullness that he experienced them. You want to talk about wealth? Bill Gates doesn't even come close. Solomon made the entire nation of Israel so rich that silver was counted as nothing had no value, there was so much of it. Is that rich? You want to talk about power? Solomon extended the borders of Israel to the largest that they ever were, but that was only the beginning of the power that he influenced over the area. Solomon was the man. He was the king. He was the one that had all the alliances worked out and the wisdom that he had and so on, and he controlled the whole of that part of the world. You want to talk about um, wisdom? People from around the world came to hear his Proverbs. You want to talk about pleasure? Turns out Solomon was like, you know, a great small yay. I mean, he talks about it quite a bit. He's quite good with the wine. Not only that, but, this, you know, I want to be a little frank because I've got to get to it. So close your eyes if you're going to be offended by it. But how will you know till I say it? So sorry. But, <laughs> but Solomon was also great at making love. You know how I know that? This book of the, the book, the Song of Solomon. There's two ways you can read the Song of Solomon. Dave Brunk came in here and read it the way I think is the, is the, the reason why it's in Scripture, which is this metaphor of our relationship with God. And it's, it is still one of the most important sermons you'll ever hear in your life. I can remember it almost word for word. But do understand something. There is another way that you can read Song of Solomon's, and Solomon wrote it this way too. He wrote it both ways. It's about making love. It's about technique. There's a lot of technique stuff. You, but let me say something, and this is super important for me to say. It has become sort of modern for pastors to talk about the Song of Solomon and say, see, God approves of all these different sexual things that Solomon's talking about. I want to say categorically, no, he does not. That's not accurate. That's not a good reading of Scripture because you have to remember something about Solomon. Did it end well for him? In fact, in this very area, it tripped him up. Because you do remember how it ends for him. King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's why I got, right? He's good, you know? 
The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Anybody else had a problem with something that God tells you not to do in an essential way? And you know what I mean? You still get caught by it. He ends up with 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Oh my God, a poor man. I mean, I just can't even... That's a joke, but here, look at it. Hear what he's saying. 300 concubines. You know what a concubine's for, right? Okay? In fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord as God, as his father David had been. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean that God is saying it's okay. An awful lot of times he's putting things in the Bible to tell us, look at the end result of them. Look where it takes you. You want to be filled with sensuality? Even Solomon in all of his wisdom was unable to escape that snare. See it? That's why I say you can't read the Song of Solomon and just say because it's in the Bible, then God approves of all of this stuff. But the book Bible is a real book. And it's talking about stuff that people get into. And Solomon is the guy who got into everything more than any person ever did. Solomon writes three books in his life, essentially. Most of the book of Proverbs. Most, uh, all of the book of Song of Solomon. And there's some scholars that will argue it, but they do that because it destroys the story. And the story is, the right one is, that Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He clearly says it. I was the son. I'm the king that you know. I'm the guy. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes. I'm the guy that experienced every single thing that you've ever wanted in your life and in more abundance than you could have ever imagined it. I'm the guy who did this. And the tradition in Israel is that at the end of his life, having gone cold on the Lord, knowing that he had gotten sucked away badly, he steps down from the throne, writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and then goes around the nation of Israel telling it to every village and saying, I am an example for you of what not to do. See that? I mean, I want you to just look for just a quick second, and I want you to see the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a book of, this is a book of, you think that the world has some good things in it? I'll prove to you it does not. Because <laughs> take whatever you want, I experienced it, and I'll show you where it leads. And what he gets to is he says at the end, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Does that sound like a guy with a vibrant hope and joy in God? In fact, what he says is keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people with everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. Proverbs is a godly inspired book of incredibly pithy sayings. But do understand, even Solomon himself is telling us that there's a limit to what Proverbs can do. Proverbs is the very best worldly wisdom that there is, including with a person that has a relationship with God, but only to a point. Because here's what he says about his own Proverbs. The words of the wise are like cow prods. They're painful but helpful. Their collective sayings are nail-studded sticks with which a shepherd drives his sheep. That's not exactly great imagery, but, you know, nonetheless, they're hard to do, he's saying, and everything else. But now watch this. This is Solomon talking about his own book, his own Proverbs. But my child, let me give you some further advice. I wrote all these great Proverbs. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. You see what he's saying? I came to an end even in that gift that God had given me because I didn't use it to follow the Spirit. If he had used it to follow the Spirit, would he have gotten into a bad place in the end? No. The Holy Spirit would have led him on a journey that would have led him into a vibrancy in his relationship in the end of his life. But instead, what he gets to is, is this other place, a place of basic hopelessness. I mean, the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes ends on a very dour note. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Wow, I'm really excited. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. It all does come back. You know, in my wisdom, I got into a bad place, and I'm now paying the price. I've lost hope. See it?
And this is amazing, isn't it? I do want to say Solomon really is this, right? You know, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Now, it didn't have to be that way for Solomon. But that's in essence what it is. And I'm not saying Proverbs isn't terribly valuable. I'm just saying beware of its limits because where did they lead Solomon? See that? Understand them in the light of what? Here's what's so interesting about the Bible. If you took it and you just opened it up right now, just take, if you've got a Bible, just open it up and flip it right to the, right to the center of the Bible. What are you going to find? What's going to be there? You're either going to be in Psalms or Proverbs. Right next to each other, right in the heart of the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to live the life of Solomon and have the end result of your life be this sort of formulaic rules of Proverbs? Or do you want your end of your life to be the incredibly vibrant, unbelievable, intimate relationship that is being revealed between David and God? You do understand 3,000 years after Psalms was written, you're in my walk completely parallels that. You do understand there's no other religion in the world that does anything like this, has anything like the intimacy that's being revealed in there. Are you mad? David gets mad and says it right there in there. Are, do you want to wish ill on somebody? David wishes ill on people. Do you want to thank God because he rescued you? Thank God because he rescued you. You get in Psalms this look. It's like God is saying this. He's putting these two things together and he's saying, I want you to see what I'm really going for. I'm not going for religion. I'm not going for rules. I'm not going for this. This doesn't lead anywhere. This doesn't get you home. What I'm looking for is intimacy. This is what Psalms is. It is the most intimate book in all of the scriptures. The only place we even get close to having it mirrored by somebody is Christ in the way that he talks to the Father because it's very real, right? It's not religious sounding. It's not formulaic. It's very, Father, I know that you already did this and you already did this, da-da-da, but would you please do this now so that they would see it? See what I mean? Now that's just exactly like the Psalms are. It's this incredibly real relationship with God. And David is the one. God is taking Solomon and David and lifting them up for all of mankind to see, for all of history. He wants them to see. I want you to see what I'm looking for, which is David. Because how does David end? Oh, so good. These are the last words of David. Now, this is him talking. David, I am the son of Jesse, and I speak. David, I'm the man who was raised up so high. David, I'm the man that God anointed, that uh, was anointed by the God of Jacob, David. Uh, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, look what he says. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. Does this sound like Solomon? This is the exact opposite of what Solomon is saying at the end of his life, isn't it? This is a guy who's still having a vibrant relationship with God despite having made some errors towards the end. The Spirit of the Lord speaks to me. His words are on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the one, listen to how he can't even tell you what it is that he wants to tell you without praising God a whole bunch first. This is how he loves God. The rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of the Lord, is like the morning sun at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on the new grass after rain. <coughs> is it not my family that God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and my success. Who is David relying on? How has David gotten there? He has taken a step of faith and 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 look what's got him. You see what he is? This is the great adventure. You want to end your life on the high note? You want to end your life on the Jerry Cook note? Where everybody goes, now that was a man of God. That's how you live life. That's how you do it. This is what you do. So I want to just, we're going to do this real quick. I want like two or maybe three testimonies. I, I, I know that there are people that have done things, leaps of faith and things, and they haven't worked out. We're not looking for that story now. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come understanding that more deeply and, and all that kind of stuff. But today, it's the beginning of the year, and I want inspiration. I want somebody to tell us a story of something that God did that was just, that made you go, wow, and then wow. Okay? Somebody, go ahead. Not all at once. Okay? Go ahead. Serenity, back here. 
Thank, no, VJ, all the way to the back, Serenity. Sorry, did, I'm sorry, but I didn't see your hand. I, I saw Serenity, so I pointed at her. Hi. Um, I have twins. Uh, they're a year and a half now. And when they were six months old, um, I was really seeking God because it was really hard. And I was trying to ask him, you know, you're doing this for a reason. I don't want to do this anymore, and I want to know why you want me to do this. And he specifically said to me that he was making me do the hardest thing in my life I would ever have to do because he knew that I would never take a leap unless I knew that the hardest thing was behind me and that I could do the things ahead of me. Does that make sense? He knew that I'm the kind of person who will always say no unless I know that the next thing will be easier. You know, I can rely on that hard thing. Does that make sense? I don't know. And it was, it was one of those moments where he's like, the next year and a half of your life is going to be awful so that the next time I ask you to do something, you'll say, it won't be as bad as that. I can keep moving forward. I love it. And boy, you know, great stories. Adam, go ahead. Great stories, too, about the community coming around her and, and all kinds of just incredible things. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think Jen and I have a whole bunch of different stories we could do on this. Yeah. But um, Rogue Saints is kind of a big one, this movie that I did. Yeah. I didn't just wake up one day and do that. That was tiny little steps over 10 years to get to the point of doing that. Yeah. Um, as little as sell something to go buy something. Yeah. Okay, I bought Remember it. when you sold your car. Yeah, a, a really nice car. I really yes, I, it was. I would still like to have that car. Yes, yeah. I understand. <laughs> the flesh was what the flesh was. We're trying to yeah. kill it, but you know, not Yeah, but yet. that was five years before I ever even got to the point of going, oh, right. I'm supposed to make a movie. Um, we have an adopted child that came from steps like that. Um, there's right. other things in progress that come from steps like that. And I have been, and you know this, um, and a lot of people know this, I've been full of doubt about a lot of stuff. And I still am. But I will always make the step God asks. And it's taken me places that I look at and go, eh, it could have been more. But when I look at it and step back and I go, that's just huge. If yeah. I saw somebody else had done that, I'd just go, yeah. man, I want to. Anyway, you live your God life, does a lot. You live your life dying and thinking, I never did what it felt like the Lord was leading me to do. Or you live life doing it and the story isn't ended yet by any shape, means, right? And when you get to the end, everybody looks at it and goes, look at that. Uh, let's, do, let's do one more. I'm seeing. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to catch somebody who I haven't heard from. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. By the way, there might be other hands. It's a little hard to see. Sometimes you guys don't understand how bright it is up here. So there may be a hand that I missed. I didn't do that on purpose. I just can't see. Uh, maybe only a few of you know this, but <clears throat> about five years ago, I almost lost my youngest daughter to suicide. It was a really hard time in my life because, you know, I trusted in God and I, I knew that this is what kept me, this is what kept me from losing my faith, is the scripture in the Bible that said, God will not give you something that's harder than you can bear. Amen. And I think the single most thing that I wouldn't have been able to have borne would have been losing my child. And God was faithful. Um, you know, I went through many, many sleepless nights. Um, she went missing many times, and each time it was a suicide attempt. But she called me. Nobody had heard from her for three days. And it was a really snowy, snowy day, and Steve and I went out for a walk. That was about, like, three feet of snow. It was so weird. But I brought my phone with me, and she called me. And I just knew then that that was God's answer. That he wouldn't take away something from me that was most precious. Amen. And today I have a four-and-a-half-year-old grandson with Amen. that daughter. And she's vibrant and she's lovely and lively and loving yeah. life. And so God, God came through. And I yeah. just want to give that word to somebody who may Amen. be going through a hard time now. It might not be something like Amen. that, but it might be something similar. But God is faithful. I'm, I, we could get so many more testimonies once we got going and it turned into a revival here. And maybe that's the better plan than what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do what I think I'm supposed to do. And, you know, you'll have to judge whether or not I did right. Okay? Because I, I just want to move now into the closing. And what I want to say is I, I want you to think about this thing of when was the last time in your life that you had a reason to cry out to God in faith like David? I want us to embrace this, and then I want you to start to understand something. 
we're doing two things, but we're melding them into one thing. And that's the one thing that we did last week, remember? We're finding the way to find that one thing that God is wanting to do to show you how to do transformation. But then we're doing something else, and I need you to reach into your, and ushers, thank you for coming forward. If you do not have one of these, you need to. So I want you to pick this up, and this is where we're going with this. And it looks like this, and can I tell you, everybody has to have one right now. So if you, if you have one for the two of you, that isn't going to work. Everybody has to have their own, okay? So raise your hands, and the guys are, are passing these out, okay? Now, thank you. There's pens, by the way, in front of you. There's going to be a place where you're going to have to answer this. Now understand something. Okay. What this is, is we're taking this one thing exercise, this how to follow the Holy Spirit exercise, and we're melding it with things that have to do with finances and first fruit offering. And you would say, Kurt, that seems like an awkward fit. Why are you doing that? And my answer is, A, I think God's led me to do it. And B, it's what he does over and over and over in the Bible. You do realize he talks about money more than he talks about any other single item in the scripture and by a long, long, long margin. Why does he do that? Because he cares about money? God does not care about money. He knows we do. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to take something that's very real, very tangible, very much we have an understanding about how this thing works, right? And he's trying to blow that up. He's trying to take us into an entirely different way of understanding things. Now understand something. When I say that to you, I do not talk as a preacher. I talk as a human being who has experienced a decade-long miracle in God's provision. Remember, I lost everything, and then I spent the next 10 years of my life where I worked for a total of two years. And that wasn't because I was lazy or just hoping something would work out. I was doing it because I was being obedient to what the Spirit was leading me to do. Now watch. For 10 years, I had a total of two years where I worked. During that 10-year time frame, I got two master's degrees with no debt. I was in L.A. writing and sending our kids to a private Christian school with no debt. And the end of that process from seminary to the end of that 10 years was he made me a pastor. So there was a journey in here. And I was willing to do whatever he wanted me to do. But you have to understand, I'm the guy who, during seminary, for example, three times, two or three times, if Julie was here, she'd remember better than me. But two or three times, what happened was, is that we got short on finances. And I went, hey, we're short on finances. Doesn't look like God is going to provide now. So I put my resume together. I updated it as much as I could for whatever seemed to be out there for jobs. And I went out and put those resumes out there and literally coming home from putting resumes out, had money in the mailbox. This is a true story I'm about to tell you right now. One time, I went out, gave my resume. I was totally willing to work. That wasn't the issue. I was just trying to be obedient was all. And by the way, I want to say there was times that it did get tough, and God would tell me before it was going to get tough. And he would say, this is going to be a tough time, but I don't want you to fix it. I want you to go through it because I want you to understand certain things. I want to teach you something. But I want to tell you now, one of the times that I remember vividly, I went out and passed out my resumes, and I came home. Now, this is a true story. I opened my mailbox, and in the mailbox was an envelope, and in that envelope was a letter from somebody who I'd never met and who did not know anybody that I knew. And the letter said, I was praying, and God told me what your name was, and I looked it up, told me that you were at Regent. I looked up and found your address, and here's the money that he told me to send you. Now that's just one miracle. You can imagine in a decade that there might be a few more. And I'm telling you, I went thing after thing, way after way. By the way, I've got relatives that are wealthy. I did the math on it one time. They provided less than 20% of all the bills, the school bills, the private school bills, every, the living bills, everything else. You add it all up, they provided less than 20%. Now that 20%, thank you very much, right? But you have to understand the other 80% just came from the Lord. 
through different ways at different times in different seasons and different in different everything and the fact of the matter is is when I stand up here and I tell you that God's economy is different than the way that we think in terms of bills and income and bills and so on I tell you that God's economy is different than that I'm not making that up I'm not telling you some scriptural story that I've heard about that I thought might be true and wouldn't it be lovely if it was I'm telling you my experience I'm telling you what I have come to know as true in the world real in the world more real than the way the world looks at it. And that's why I'm doing this. Because the fact of the matter is, is the person that I am was greatly forged in the fires of that decade. And I am not here to tell you that it was all easy. I'm here to tell you that it was maturation. It was a whole lot of steps and a whole lot of growth. But the fact of the matter is, wow. I know God in a way because of that that I simply could not know him. I don't know what's going to happen with this country, but I do know that the chances are that we're in for an interesting season in the next 15, 20 years, if it even lasts that long. We're in for some interesting times. Your faith better be planted in the right place. If it is, you'll survive. If it isn't, the word itself says your love will grow cold. Do you want to be David? Or do you want to be Solomon? Your choice. This is a way that I think we can get there. And on the front side of this thing, what we're doing is simply explaining to you what first fruits is. And I'm going to read it to you very quickly because we're done. But taking God at his, okay, this side, I'm on the heart. First fruits, heart. I want to just read it with you. The heart. First fruit Sunday is Lake Sam's way of helping us embrace his promises. Now, you may disagree with this theologically. Please come and talk to me. It's much more complicated than what I could have written on this little bitty thing, but I can defend what I've written here theologically deeply. Okay? So would you just please write, the Lord established two kinds of giving, the tithe and the offering. Tithe. In the tithe, the Lord tells us to give 10% of our income to his church to gratefully acknowledge him as the one who gave us all our provision. By tithing faithfully, we keep him first in our lives and it allows him to do ministry through his body, the church, that lets the world know who he really is in fullness. And here's what I mean by that. When people are truly tithing, which they are not, and I don't just mean here, I mean all across the church, it's about 1.7% of what people give. When people are truly tithing, what happens is, is God can manifest himself through his family, the church, in helps, in all kinds of things, in ways that people look at and they say, that's amazing. And we say, that's God. But we're impoverished. And so the image of the church is impoverished because we've impoverished her. And that, by the way, is what he's saying over here on that margin when he's, it's that Malachi scripture that we looked at last week. By tithing faithful, we keep him first in our lives and allows him to do ministry through his body, the church, that lets the world know who he really is in fullness. The tithe is not optional, nor do we decide where it goes. It's the Lord asks us, even testing us, to trust him. The offering is different. This is our free will response to the things he lays on our hearts. It's a blast and a blessing to get to help in whatever way we desire. And I want to say, become a tither. Watch what God does and you'll become a giver. <laughs> a lot of people say amen to that one because they've learned that truth. Okay? And then there's this Malachi thing. And now flip it over and here's what we're doing right now. This is the step today that I told you we're going to take last week. Okay? Our response Taking God at his word, what is the one thing that you believe God wants to help you change this year? Write it down. By the way, we're going to be doing this every single month on the First Fruit Sunday. And when God answers your one thing, like mine was exercise you learned from last week, and the fact is I'm doing really good on it, and I would expect in three or four weeks that this might become, or three or four months, that this might become such a part of my life that it's no longer the thing I'm writing down as the one thing. That's how we're going to pass this out each month. And you can either re write it down to remind yourself, or you can write down a new thing because God has moved you to a new thing. See what I mean? I want us to be continually led by the Lord. But what's the one thing you believe wants you to change? Write it down, then pray the prayer, and let's see God bring his promises to pass. And Joe, I love you, but we're going to change the scripture on the right-hand side to the seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay? Because that's really the, the good scripture for this one. This scripture over here is really great too, but we're going to change it to the other one. I'm sorry. And Joe did this, and she does a great job. So she's new on the staff, and wow, she hit it out of park. But do you see that? I want you to do this right now. Take a moment and write down your one thing. If you have not gotten to step three so that you don't know what it is, go ahead and write it down. 
but then you can scratch it out and rewrite it. You know, this is a bookmark. You're supposed to take it with you. You don't hand this in. Take it and put it in your Bible. Be reminded about it. Do it with your devotionals, right? So write it down. What's the one thing? Go ahead. Just take a minute. Write that down. Okay? Shouldn't take too long. And now we're going to say this prayer together. I'm coming to you. Actually, you know, this is hokey and I hate it, but we're going to do it anyway. I want to read this prayer out loud with all of us, okay? You don't have to pray this prayer every day. It's not a formula. It's not a routine. I just want to pray it all together once, right? So could you just read it with me? I am coming to you, Lord, with personal needs and a desire to be someone who pours out generously, cheerfully, and joyfully. You have said in your word that the way to be blessed like this is to give my tithe, 10%, and offerings faithfully. I believe that as I keep you first, you will add everything I need and make me someone who can respond in fullness to whatever you lead. How many people are in the bondage of not being able to respond? I'm looking at you guys because you guys just got done with Dave Ramsey. By the way, we need to start a Dave Ramsey class, so... But I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of a prayer. Shouldn't I? Shouldn't be doing this, should I? But yes, yeah. But so I commit to give your body, the church, the entire 10% this year so that I build my life and my church solidly on the rock that is you. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne. We pray this prayer together corporately. We pray this prayer because we want to become those who are living the life of David, the great adventure. We want to become those who are entered into the fullness that you have for us and not those who are thinking that we're doing well like Solomon but end up in a bad place because we have not understood how to truly follow the Holy Spirit. God, you are doing an amazing thing in this body right now of teaching us how to truly follow you. Help us, show us, walk us. We're, we're saying yes, but we still don't know how to actually embrace it in fullness. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, help us to do that. Now to seal that, reach down in front of you and there's a cup, and there's two cups in fact, and take the bottom one out first in which is the body. And we recognize that in our lives we have made choices in all kinds of ways, not just financial, but in all kinds of ways we have made choices that have broken our lives. And so in recognition of that, we take our finger and we put it down in that bottom cup and we break that. And now we recognize that by those, by your stripes, Jesus on the cross, you have healed us and made us completely whole. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup in which is that broken body of Christ that heals us. And we take this body together to be healed of all of our brokenness. Take together with me, would you please? And now in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup in which is the life that has been purchased for us at the cross. There is nothing else that needs to be done. It is simply a matter of us picking up what you have, stepping into what you are. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, by taking this cup together, we say to you and to ourselves and to everybody who is here, we say, I want the fullness of your life to become my life. I want to be David. I want to be Jerry Cook. I want to be that fullness that only you have. In Jesus' name, take this cup together, would you?